Hello and welcome to Bone Up, the podcast all about bones, how we make them, why we break them, and if we fully understand them. I'm David Armstrong. Hi, and I'm Richie Abel. And over this series, we're going to be exploring osteoporosis, bones, what we know and what we're yet to discover. And we hope you will join us on the journey. So for anyone keen to learn more about our infrastructure of calcified collagen, this is Bone Up. Welcome, listeners. We're back. How are you doing, David? I'm doing very well. Uh, if you followed us on Twitter, you will have heard we had a, just a slight delay uh, through through life events. We have to do the things that they actually pay us to do occasionally, Richie, as well, don't we? Um, Unfortunately, we do, yes. But, uh, but we're back and we have several more guests lined up for very exciting interviews. And, uh, and today is one of those. So have you been busy the last month or two? Yeah, very busy. I went on a trip to visit MIT in Boston, meet some collaborators and try and get a project going, which was, I'm excited about that. Had the start of term here at Imperial, getting everybody going again, all the students are back, which is nice because the place gets really lively. Had a couple of new PhD students starting in the lab, looking at the effect of air pollution on bone. And hopefully, in the next few months, we'll have another PhD student starting in the lab looking at the health of ballet dancers. So if you're out there and you're interested in ballet and you want to do a PhD, get in touch. Yeah, that's something you talked about earlier in the year, which was which was very interesting. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we got over the, the Royal Osteoporosis Society conference as well, which was great to be back for a face-to-face conference. Um, I've certainly been busy seeing a lot of osteoporosis patients at my clinic and then I had the great privilege I was asked to give the annual um, Dairy Council of Northern Ireland scientific lecture at the Ulster University and uh, I had the I had the chance to not only talk about bones which is what you imagine I would talk about but also a bit about ancient history about archaeology about the development of dairy farming over the last sort of eight or nine thousand years um, we got to hear about what some ancient doctors and ancient historians had to say about bones. Um, we got to look at some Renaissance art. We got to talk about 19th century politics and right up to the present day. So I really enjoyed myself immensely, Richie, I have to say, getting talking about history and bones, which are my two big areas. And I got good feedback. Uh, everyone else seemed to enjoy it as well. And I got a lovely piece of, of fine china as a, as a thank you. So, so uh, yeah, that was good fun. Um, I saw the pictures on Twitter. It looked amazing. Well, it was it was, it was, it was fun to do, and uh, it seemed to get good, seemed to get good feedback. And um, was it recorded so we can all listen? I I don't know if it was recorded. I think they had the slides, but to be honest, the slides bore very little resemblance to what I actually said. Because as you know, I tend to just make things up as I go along. So. Um, but uh, but yeah, maybe that was a was a wasted opportunity, or or maybe not. Um, but yeah, other things going on as well. I mean, I suppose to keep people up to date, we we had um, 
which Stuart Ralston and, and, and Kirsty on talking um, about a year ago now about pregnancy associated osteoporosis. So that study is up and running and I've managed to uh, recruit a number of, of patients to that. So that's exciting. Uh, in fact, I have someone else coming up this next week. So that's ongoing. Um, and uh, and also, I mean, we had Jared Wong on earlier the year talking about Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And uh, I've been very privileged to be asked to join a committee looking at that and looking at guidelines for adults with uh, osteoporosis with Duchenne. So yeah, keeping myself busy, uh, as are you, but we find time to do this podcast, which is the most exciting and important thing. It is. To be honest with you, it's probably the most fun bit of my job right now. So listeners, we quite often put out messages on Twitter asking people what kind of topics you want to hear about. And since the day we started recording the podcast, one of the things that always comes up is bone health in young people and the relationship between bone health and eating disorders. So that's the topic we're going to discuss today because so many people have been asking us about it. David, how does this come up in your clinic? Yeah, I mean, it's something we've talked about often. The perception is that osteoporosis just affects older people, but actually in a hospital setting as a specialist, I get quite a high percentage of younger people referred to the clinic. Um, and I think that's important because osteoporosis in younger people is clearly a, a complex and you know more unusual area. Um, I see a, a fair number of young people with eating disorders, predominantly uh, young women, and I probably should see more young men because it's probably more common in young men than we recognize. Um, I do see young people who take take steroids, corticosteroids, and sometimes high doses for other conditions. And you do sometimes get young people referred up with fragility fractures and bone problems and investigations reveal other diagnoses. So sometimes you would pick up other conditions such as osteogenesis imperfecta. Um, we've had one or two people diagnosed with celiac disease who presented, um, who presented with fractures and low bone density. Um, and every now and again, we turn up other, other unusual conditions. So, I mean, I would say people probably don't perceive that an osteoporosis specialist or that most osteoporosis specialists see a lot of young people. But certainly at my clinic, I have sort of 16-year-olds right up to about two weeks ago, a 99-year-old at the clinic. So, you know, we cover, we cover a, wide, a wide age group. I think the exciting thing about our guest today is that she specializes mostly in that younger group of people and would be regarded certainly nationally here as the UK as someone who would be a, a leading voice in that in that younger group of people with osteoporosis. I'm really excited about today's interview so let's get started. Well listeners we have a really wonderful guest with us today somebody we wanted to have on the podcast for a really long time Dr Jenny Walsh Dr. Walsh is a senior clinical lecturer in the Metabolic Bone Centre at the School of Medicine and Population Health in the University of Sheffield, which is a, a really world-renowned bone research institute and bone training centre. Welcome, Jenny. Welcome, Jenny. Uh, we're really delighted to have you on the podcast. Hello. 
That's great. I maybe sort of kick things off. People often think of osteoporosis as a condition that affects older people. Um, but as you and I know, it does affect younger people as well. So could you give us some sort of general idea how common osteoporosis is in younger people? And probably a related question, how common fragility fractures are in younger people? For the benefit of the tape, David was giving that a big thumbs up. So given then that we should be talking about low bone density in young people rather than a disease, osteoporosis. How do the ways in which you assess fracture risk in young people compare to the way in which you would maybe assess a fracture risk in an older person?
I'm very excited to get on to talking about using pharmacological treatment or perhaps not using pharmacological treatment in young adults. Um, just to pick up on your point about should we use the term osteoporosis for an 85-year-old and a 25-year-old? And I have to say, yeah, I agree with that a lot. I think they are quite sort of different conditions, really, or, or the way we should think about them are quite different conditions. Um, do you think using the term osteoporosis, because a 20-year-old or 25-year-old may have been told after their DEXA scan or told by their GP that you have osteoporosis, do you find that's unhelpful? And as a follow-on from that, do you find yourself trying to explain to a lot of younger people perhaps why they shouldn't be on pharmacological treatment more than trying to persuade them to take pharmacological treatment? Do you see young people have perhaps been started on a bisphosphonate by the GP age 20 who you're, you're, you're stopping it again? What are the treatment guidelines for managing young people with low bone mineral density?
And what kind of treatments do you give the patients? Is it the same treatments that you might give an older person who has osteoporosis? I mean, we focus understandably on that concept that you have peak bone mineral density or peak bone mass when you're 25, and we tell students that, and we often explain that to, to patients as well. Can you actually improve your peak bone mass then if you're 26 or 27 or 30, if you can address the underlying problem, or, or is 25 simply a cutoff and that's it, you can't do any better? That's interesting that I think there's been a lot of talk lately about how can we engage young people more in their bone health to try and encourage them to take positive steps so that um, 
they're going to maintain that health throughout their lives. And I suppose with this group of patients, young people with low bone mineral density, you're really at the sharp end of those discussions. Speaking about the lifestyle changes, do people take kind of more drastic action? Do they change the way that they live, like, you know, avoid avoid adventure sports or skiing or things like that? A lot of people have been getting in touch with us ever since we started the podcast to ask about the effect of eating disorders on bone. And whenever we put out a call on social media, has anybody got any things we would like to discuss? That is a topic that always, always comes up. So we wanted to ask you a few questions about that, if we may. What kind of effect do eating disorders have on bone health? And how can you manage the health of people living with a eating disorder?
Well, we've talked before in other other episodes of this about the importance of exercise for bone, and actually import importance of exercising young people for bone and building bone. Obviously, with an eating disorder, there's a group of patients there who will overexercise and will use that to control their weight. Now, if you get, let's say, the menstrual cycle sorted out and there's an improvement maybe in the, in the relationship with food and some weight gain and other things are going well, how do, you, how do you fit exercise into that? Because, as I say, people will sometimes have a bad relationship with exercise in the sense that they will use it to, to gain weight but, or to keep weight down, but we want people to exercise because it's good for their bones. It is quite a multidisciplinary approach. You've sort of touched on that on, on a number of occasions there. And this affects young men as well as young women. I mean, I think we automatically maybe think of young women with eating disorders, but you know, could you put a, even a figure what percentage of eating disorders or in terms of, of low bone mineral density, what percentage of young men we're looking at here? And are we missing young men, do you think, because we're not thinking about it? Hmm. When it comes to the management of patients with an eating disorder, how do you address the bone health issue? Do you have to work with patients first to try and resolve the eating problems before then also trying to work on the bone health? Or do you find that if you can resolve the eating problems, then the bone will fix and repair and heal?
one of the things comes up again and again in our podcast is this concept of bone quality as well as bone quantity and certainly in terms of eating disorder patients you know we've talked just about maybe bone mass and bone density i've seen patients who have maybe do you ever recover entirely from an eating disorder have done a lot better and are maybe middle-aged and are doing better with it but they still seem to be at quite a high risk of fracture and i wonder about the quality of the bone if you've had chronic malnutrition and, and you know poor exposure to important nutrients at a, at a crucial age for bone development do you think quality is an issue as well even if you sort out the quantity of bone and is that reversible as you get older Jenny, the studies that you've been talking about where people have tested the bone medicines in people with an eating disorder do sound very small. Why is that? Is it that our community hasn't put enough emphasis on developing studies like that? Or is it that it is such a small number of people that are affected that it's difficult to deliver the trials? And with younger patients, there's always that low risk of fracture in the background as well, isn't there? That, 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 that you know, it's harder to prove reduced fracture risk, perhaps unless in this group you're following up for 20 or 30 years. But of course, that's clearly difficult to do as well. Mm. So, Jenny, 
one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast is because I've seen you speak a lot of events around the bone community. I remember the first time I ever saw you give a talk, it was about using bone turnover markers. And I got there early and sat down in the front front row. And I remember you gave an absolutely amazing talk, crystal clear all of the way through, talked about bone markers and how they can be used in clinical practice. And since then, I've seen you many times, recently VROS, where you gave a really clear talk there. It's clear that you devote a lot of time and a lot of effort to the bone community, not just in your clinical practice, but outside as well. Where do you find the drive to put so much love and time into your work? It really comes across that you love what you do. What was the spark that set you off down this route?
That's amazing. How different things could have been if you'd had a different placement. It's something I'm always conscious of with medical students, you know, no matter how grumpy you're feeling and how bad a day you're having, you have to let the actual basic enthusiasm for what we do shine through, I think, because, you know, you do remember that, don't you? People you've worked with when you were younger, who, despite the fact they seem terribly old and, and academic and all the rest of it, they still seem to enjoy what they were doing. And yeah, I think most of us hopefully still do enjoy, enjoy what we're doing. You know, if you're wondering why we didn't ask you anything about Duchenne muscular dystrophy and young people, um, young people with that, we had Jared Wong on a couple of episodes ago talking all about that because that's something that you and I very recently have been on the committee talking about. So, uh, you know, there are obviously many other aspects of osteoporosis in young people we just haven't had time to to touch on. But you know, we we'll maybe get you on again and get you to talk about other things as as well. I think it's nice for our listeners to know because we've had lots of guests on over the last few series but we do actually all sort of meet up in different environments and work and chat together as well and sort of know each other outside the podcast which uh, I think is nice and important for recruiting people onto the podcast as well absolutely Jenny it's been an absolute delight talking to you today thank you so much It's always such great fun talking about fun talking about bones, isn't it? Yeah, my you know my first takeaway from these things is always that I'm sorry we can't go on for longer. I can't believe the time runs so quickly. Um, yeah, I mean I think one of the things Jenny said that has always struck me is is even using the term osteoporosis for younger people. And how she prefers to say to a young person, you've got low bone mineral density, and then discuss the actual fracture risk and how, um, how it can be managed. And I think that's useful because sometimes using the term osteoporosis doesn't, you know, it, it can be helpful, but it also can scare people and they can believe that they must get strong drugs immediately. So in some ways that's given me some reassurance and confirmation that that, you know, I should probably be just talking about low bone mineral density for younger people. I think that's good. I think that's a good learning point in, in general. Um, I think the other thing, just you can see how complex an area this is. When you see low bone mineral density in a younger person, you know, one size does not fit all. There are many different potential causes. There are many potential different man managements. And of course, as Jenny mentioned, Pretty much all of the drugs we use, if we do use them in young people, they're not licensed and we're using them, uh, you know, we're using them sort of on first principles or on the basis that they help others. But there's really very few or no significant large studies showing the benefits of these drugs. So, again, emphasizing the importance of talking to the patients about what we're trying to achieve, getting the patients on board, finding out about what their values and concerns are. And sort of making a joint decision and i think it's particularly important that a younger person understands if we are going for one of these stronger drugs 
what we're actually trying to achieve, you know, that conversation can be a bit easier in a, in a 75-year-old who's fractured a hip. It can be more complex in a, in a 21-year-old who maybe hasn't had a fracture, but who has a lot of other complex things going on. So, and uh, yeah, just to be generally in, in, inspired by how enthusiastic and knowledgeable Jenny is on the subject. And what about, what about, uh, what about your takeaways? Well, I hope the podcast, I hope it inspires those other healthcare professionals and scientists who are working in the field to do what they to do what they do with more, you know, more determination. I hope it inspires patients as well who are listening to know that, you know, there's a lot of work going on and that those people who are involved, both seeing them in the clinic and seeing them in the surgery and seeing them in the gymnasium, but also those of us who are involved like you, you know, in, in the laboratory doing work um, that, you know, we're, we're continuing to work behind the scenes, that we think about what we do, that we reflect on it and that, you know, we're all trying to do a better job if we can. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks very much for listening and hopefully we'll have another episode up for you very soon. Bye now.